Welcome to the Twilight Conversations. My name is Jimmy, and in this podcast, I'll be exploring human relationships, human potential, and that curious space between the dark and the light. So, hello, and welcome to episode 51 of the Twilight Conversations. You are now entering Area 51. Please proceed with caution. Area 51 is some American where all the aliens hang out, isn't it? Area 51. You know, um, I was listening to a, I can't forget who it was, some comedian recently. How is it, you know, when you get to see those documentaries about America, about UFO sightings, it's always like, um, fucking rednecks. <laughs> yeah, I seen them right over there. <laughs> it's never someone from New York, you know, motherfucker, was up <laughs> It's always some slack-jawed fucking lunatic. Anyway, probably a Trump fan. Let's throw that in. Um, clink, clink, Donald, clink, clink, and all his friends. <laughs> Ill porridge is on the way there, pal. Um, hopefully, hopefully. It would be a fucking shame if he got away with all the crap he did. And it's not only him, it's the whole crew around him. Anyway, episode 51 is going to be, I'm going to talk to you or explore, whatever you, way you want to put it, anxiety. I'm kind of anxious about this. <laughs> There's an arc within an arc. I mean, I'm always anxious about doing something, which... You know, while we talk about stress and anxiety, there's a certain amount of healthy stress. We need some adrenaline, you know, before you play a game or you do something, you know, none at all, you're going to be flat too much, you're you're immobilized. I'll come back to that and and uh, the fantastic neuroscientist, Andrew Huberman, which who I'll just plug now and thoroughly recommend if you're interested in neuroscience in the area of the brain, and he's a brilliant communicator. And he explains all of that stuff so well on the Huberman Lab. Yeah, his podcast really, really takes on different subjects. He does one on stress, actually, which I'll touch on slightly. But, you know, he explains it far, far better than I would. Um, so, but that's just a point he's making that it's not it's not the big bad wolf. We need anxiety stress. Well, not necessarily the anxiety stress. And anxiety is kind of a spin-off from that, isn't it, really? Um, so I'm going to try and talk about anxiety, all the different elements to that, you know, uh, situational stuff, um, existential agony stuff, dread, uh, healthy levels of that. Um, what I feel is probably underneath a lot of it, the fear and des- fear of being known and desire to be known, which I talk about a lot, to be known intimately with another or others, uh, can create huge amounts of anxiety for us. And also, to look at that at a collective level, at a society level. Um, if our societies were different, maybe more tolerant and pleasing and friendly, anxiety levels would reduce hugely in stress levels for people. So anyway, we'll, we'll get into all of that as we go along, throw in a few songs and a few quotes from this, that and the other. Um, and yeah, off we'll go. And listen, I encourage you, as with every podcast, this, this anxiety is a huge area. There are many other, there's plenty of literature, there's podcasts. I mentioned Huberman's. There's so much on this that you, you can you know look up if you're interested in it. I'm just going to give you a few pointers, give you my take on it, explore it in a particular, my style of doing things, my way of doing things. Um, and, you know, if it kind of whets your appetite a bit for more, that then you'll go off and you'll seek out more. And I'll also try and look at, like, solutions. But, you know, how do we deal with this fucking thing? You know, what is it? You know, just look at different ways we can accept or manage this phenomenon, which is part of being human, you know. It's like, so there's no one without it, you know. You're not alone, that's for sure. 
and we know at different times it can increase and decrease and we can look at that and all the variables that are there you know now it's a you know it's used a lot now in the mental health area there's sad social anxiety disorder is kind of a relatively new name it used to be called something phobia i think um and again we're all anxious but that's kind of more when it's kind of chronic when it's regular when there's a pattern when it's debilitating and stopping you from going to work as opposed to a once off here or there or what most of us have i certainly do a kind of an underlying anxiety that can be triggered at different times and then it might be an also triggered into a trauma previous trauma and uh, that may still be a little raw or that type of thing okay so when i spoke on the last podcast about the uh the kind of gaslighting of, you know, changing names of things, be it from chocolate bars like the the Mars, not Mars, Mars as well. They didn't change that yet, did they? And Mars a day helps you work, rest and play. Um, the marathon to the Snickers and so forth, so forth. They began to think about that more. And um, I thought of another couple. Now, you could go on forever. There's loads of countries way, way back that have changed. But um, Opal Fruits, right? Anyone remember Opal Fruits? Opal fruits made to make your mouth water. You'd have to be again, probably born in the 60s or 70s for that one. They switched over again. They did the whole fucking thing to Starburst. Stupid fucking name that is. I liked opal fruits. I think we all liked opal fruits. They were very nice and they were refreshing. You know, a very much a 70s sweet. Kind of, you could chew it. Lovely bursts into kind of uh, fruity flavor in your mouth. Lovely. Um, but yeah, they are now Starburst. Countries. Burma is now Myanmar. Now that's okay. Again, it's not necessarily, I'm not having an issue with the change as such. As I said, it's the kind of process. No consultation, no discussion, and people fucking pretending it was always that way. Not going to work with me. Because um, people have been, I mean, people have been shouting over stuff to me. Jimmy, there's that and that and shouting over names. Do you remember all oh, the other one? Um, Ceylon, which is a lovely sounding name is now Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka sounds nice too. Salon tea, you know, uh, which is just uh, that big island at the bottom of India. However, Miss Anne O'Connell reminded me of the most obvious one. How I missed it, I do not know, but I did. And I'm going to say a little bit about it now. Now, sadly, it's as a result of a, a war that's going on that we've, this one's come in, the Ukraine war. We know the capital of Ukraine was always fucking Kiev, right? You're listening to the news and all of a sudden they're kind of talking about Kiev, Kiev, and they're, they're, they're just throwing it in there like, you know, you can't have chicken Kiev. You have to have two syllables, Kiev. Now what, what the fuck is that? It'll always be Kiev to me. Kiev is nicer on the tongue, isn't it? It's easier to say. Kiev doesn't feel right in your mouth. <laughs> Kiev uh, feels weaker, doesn't it? You know, if I was from there, I'd want to be Kiev. Where are you from? I'm from Kiev. Where are you from? Kiev. Nah. Not me. So thank you for reminding me of that one. And there's loads more. There's many more countries like, um, well, this one I'm glad it changed from Rhodesia to um, Zimbabwe because that was back in, it was, was your man's name in the 60s, that kind of um, white supremacist, Ian Smith, Rhodesia, that kind of, that kind of, but you got similar in South Africa, those Afrikaners with that kind of guttural Dutch type of accent, you know, um, where Zimbabwe feels right for that, that's a that's a good change, isn't it? You know, because it's just an African country for fuck's sake. What's this Nigeria? Okay, that's what the whites called it. You know, um, so you get where I'm going. So again, I'm I'm picking kind of innocuous things in a way that are silly to highlight 
when we know these things happen in our lives where more serious changes happen and people pretend it's not happening or they act as if they've always known and they, you know and all that stuff that you know the various levels of gaslighting there can be where it makes you question like how does everybody know this why are they pretending you know that was i've i've spoken before that was always the story particularly as a child and a teenager and sometimes as an adult if i'm really honest i'm kind of going what's going on <laughs> i don't know what's going on what's going on out there how come they all seem to know <laughs> now we know a lot of us do that actually it's where we overcredit everybody with having uh, too much knowledge on knowing them. Maybe they have got that, but generally we're overcrediting them and we're undercrediting ourselves where everyone's in the know. I could never do that. That to me feeds into the imposter syndrome, which I'll be mentioning as part of a, an anxiety piece as well. You know what I'm talking about? That one. Uh, that created a lot of anxiety for me. How did they know? Where did they get the information? Who told them? How do they all just seem to know? You know, these kids in the class just seem to know in the playground, you know, those cool kids that smoked a certain way. I remember we used to watch them. How could, just knew and they kind of, they could, you know, you know, the real trick was, I remember a guy doing this, he was about 10 or 12. So he, he was major and fucking uh, back then, even before John Player Blue, the working class cigarette used to be major. And then in the 80s, 90s, it became John Player Blue. But it was major always, you know, if you could get it, because it was a really lovely, strong smoke in that green box. I used to love major. And he was smoking a major, right? And he he did that brilliant thing, really, really cool thing. He inhaled and then he spoke as the smoke came out. <laughs> Never I tried that, I was like, <laughs> you know, because you have to study. Because smoking on the telly and those old black and white films looks so sexy, didn't it? really looks so good you know they'd like the guy would light the two cigarettes Humphrey Bogart would do it I think he probably did it in that beautiful film Casablanca with Ingrid Bergman what a film I would never tire of watching that film it's one of the most romantic beautiful noble great one-liners from uh, Rick you know was Humphrey Bogart here's looking at you kid that one um did he actually say that in the film in all the bars and all you had to walk into this one that was that one yeah anyway so you see where I'm, I am with that one. Again, I can non sequiturs, I can get caught in things. So to come back to anxiety, that's another one. Some people have said to me, it irritates them when I do that. Not many. And most people say, no, they get a kick out of it when I go off on one. Someone actually said to me, you haven't gone off on Trump lately, but I did at the beginning. So they were missed. Because <laughs> I think he's a cunt too, you know. Um so anxiety, as we know, we've got anxiety disorder is seen, as I said, like uh, and, and social anxiety disorder. It's like a, it's become a medical issue or problem now, and sometimes will need a lot of attention if someone is 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 in that. I suppose I'm speaking to the more generalised form that we would all have in the various shapes of forms, but some people do have that, that medical condition, as they call it, anxiety disorder, and that's really debilitating because it's not a once-off. It's beyond you know we've got the acute. Uh, episodic and chronic and the acute is you know the once off we can get that and it can feel quite intense it may be stimulated by something outside of us but it passes and we return to kind of basic okay living then the episodic where it happens a bit more regularly with a particular thing and then we've got what the chronic where it's just ongoing we just it's awful but then it's off some people can't go out of the house it affects their work, affects their relationships, you know, and people there will need, you know, specialist type of help. It's not rocket science in that sense. They may need medication. That's a whole area. I'm not up for or against medication. They may, uh, even initially, just to kind of, some kind of benzodiazepine, some kind of just a lowering, you know, 
just to get someone back to a baseline and then with along with some supportive therapy now they'll always say cbt but i don't believe it has to be cbt it can be very useful some supportive therapeutic space where you can breathe a bit work through things you know and you may not need medication but you may need quite a lot of support and help from your family friends and maybe a health professional who knows about anxiety at that level obviously i'm not going to talk too much about you know uh social anxiety disorder or the medical condition that that would be for a psychologist or a psychiatrist to diagnose and name i can't do that and that's that would be a whole other podcast so if that's an interest there's plenty of information about that i'm not going to talk about it more in the general way in the existential way in the spiritual way if you like even um and what it really means to us and how it comes into to to our lives and out of our lives so really the general feeling anxious piece and also the, the psychosomatic piece in terms of it's not just in our minds, our bodies feel it as well. We're not separate. So you'll hear me talk about that a lot. And the Huberman stuff, Andrew Huberman, he uh, you know, does huge amounts around the neurology, the brain and the connection with the body and that mind-body connection that the East has always known about in Buddhism and, and Hinduism, but now the West is catching on a bit and then, you know, they're bringing science to it and they're learning even more about it. So that's the neuropsychology or neuroscientific piece. Um, but really, let's, let's, let's try simplify things, right? What do we really, you know, anxiety is really fear, isn't it? It's just another term for fear. It's kind of a, a different flavor of fear, really, isn't it? You know, and, and we all know fear. Right. So I might say a little bit now about the reptilian brain or what they used to call the primal brain. Really, I think millions and millions of years old. It's a bit archaic. And, you know, we would hope we have evolved since then. And the kind of symptoms and you can, I mean, you all know the anxiety symptoms and we all feel them similarly, but probably uniquely. We're talking about like restlessness, irritability, feeling on edge. Uh, difficulty concentrating, we're worrying, maybe we're ruminating, we're in a kind of a mind loop about something, we're maybe obsessive, perhaps we're having a, a panic attack, a full-blown panic attack, which is a kind of a subgroup of anxiety, you know, with palpitations, uh, where we shortness of breath, dizziness, um, you know, rapid heartbreak, heartbeat, we might, and heart rate, we may have a headache, um, insomnia, we can't sleep, of course, you know, affects our digestive system we may feel queasy and nauseous and this digestive problems as i said you know a vulnerable immune system all that kind of stuff often when we get a bit of overload of anxiety so we can have all of them or combinations of them along with racing thoughts so you've got the kind of mental bit where our thoughts are maybe we're, we're going over something we're caught in a loop maybe but the body will be feeling as i said in all those particular ways there and the body is the way in terms of finding a bit of ease, finding a bit of solution, finding a bit of healing, for want of a better term, uh, from those symptoms of anxiety, because they're often quite symptomatic, right? It's through the body. And the mistake we make is, of course, we try to do it through our mind alone. And in Buddhism, they've got that lovely saying, that's like a knife trying to cut itself. It's like a thought trying to manage a thought. If you get me, you're just on a loop then, you know? So it's okay to look at our thoughts, but we must breathe and come down into our bodies and, and feel what's going on there. And there's a huge solution there. I will be coming back to that. All right. Just so we're all on the same page, literally what we're talking about. Yes. We often, yeah, another word is inter interchangeably we'll use is stress. You know, stress is, is anxiety are quite similar there. Force cousins closely, they're one and the same really, you know, so often they're used interchangeably. Worry, strain tension 
And again, I'm going to, you know, I, I want to really uh, emphasize that everybody's unique and individual and may experience it a little bit differently um, and, and whatever feels for you, right? And But there is a general theme that we can all relate to at some level, okay? So how would it be if I said to you, well, look, anxiety is really future-based if you think about it. It's like we're anticipating something, we're worrying about something. We're not usually anxious about the past. The past is important because that's more depression. I would feel or believe that anxiety and depression, not everyone will agree with this, are one and the same thing. They're just opposite sides of the same coin, they're different expressions, and they will feed into each other, if you get me. So we can be ruminating about the past, which is creating anxiety about the future. Well, that happened then, didn't work out well. So next time I go there, that's, you know, uh, so that's why you'll often get combinations of anxiety, depression. That's why when they give medication, they may be given like a benzo or a sedative of some description, along with an antidepressant. And the antidepressant may have a sedative in it. And there's all variations on that. And again, I'm not for or against that. That can really, really help people. But they can get, you know, chicken or the egg, right? Um, but it's one and the same thing. It comes from a deeper existential sense of self, I feel. Um, and it'll manifest in different ways. But it's future. It's We're projecting. We're, you know, uh, we're never anxious usually about what has happened. We're anxious about an interview, you know, the obvious stuff. Uh, something coming up, uh, a meeting, a conversation. Will that happen? Will they turn up? Will they not turn up? Will, will the money come in? All those type of things. And that's what clicks in there and then there's a whole physiological response to that as well as well as our kind of racing thoughts or worrying thoughts about it you know and of course to quote Eckhart Tolle we lose the power of now we're not even though we are in now our bodies are in now our minds are trying to be in next week or next month or the combat you know and we're, we're not we're missing now and and the now which I'll come back to because we're always in it is key to this right? I'll come back to There's an exercise around that that Eckhart Tolle talks about. Very difficult to do, but very powerful. And it's a real, it helps, it works, it really, really works. But you have to be willing to feel a bit of discomfort, but we're feeling discomfort anyway. So, you know, so we, we, we all, we all good to go. Yes, I heard us say, carry on. Maybe you're asking questions. If you don't know, send them in. Uh, send them in to me on the Conversations at gmail.com and thank you for everyone that has and again not a lot of people asking questions as such they're just making really nice comments so thank you for that okay I'm going to say a little bit about and, and, and again there's so many different areas we could look at you know because the anxiety can be quite practical uh, I'll come back to the reptilian brain I'm not forgetting that it, you know fuck will I have enough money now to cover the rent so it's, it's very real. It's no point in saying to someone, don't worry. You know, it's like, we have to practically attend to things. So we have to assess, you know, you'll hear me saying that assess, well, what is this? Is this a, a kind of a primal fear where there is a tiger running towards me and I'm right to be anxious and I need to get the fuck out of Dodge? Or is that a psychological fear where there's nothing actually going to happen, but it's internal, it's still very uncomfortable, and I, I address it that way. Is it a practical kind of a fear or anxiety? You know, do I need to go and talk to someone and say, listen, I'm not going to have that for you. Can you give me a while? Or whatever it is, we need to take action on something, you know, uh, address something, you know, concretize it, as they say, do actually literally do something about it, and the anxiety reduces immediately. 
you know, like I can get it around. Uh, I know everyone hates forms and I'm not really good technically, especially when they come in on emails and I lose them and I don't know what I'm fucking doing. And, you know, and I can't get back to where was that one? And someone says, I sent you that. I can get really anxious about that. So the other day I said, just go look at the fucking email, try and see it, call the person, say, listen, I'm sorry about this. I can't. And it was sorted out and the anxiety reduced. And that's a little minor one, you know, that kind of way. But I'm going to say a bit about uh, existential anxiety. When I've said about the uh, reptilian brain, and this is an old thing, you know, millions of years, Paul McLean and other neuroscientists, kind of the triune brain, it's often called. And it's archaic, it's archaic, it's ancient. And we would hope, although you, you might question it with some people, we're, we're evolving beings, evolution, that our brains, our, our nervous systems, our whole have spiritually, we have evolved from the time of the reptilian brain. And the reptilian brain, even though it's still deep in the brain, uh, controls kind of innate and automatic self-preservation behavior patterns, which, you know, they're all about survival, you know, because again, we we're in caves then and it was prehistoric and uh, concerns are, they talk about the four Fs, fighting, feeding, fleeing and fucking, yes fucking from a procreation point of view but I'll come back to uh, fucking in another way later on we do not approve of the Twilight Conversations this man cannot resist he seemed to lack the ability to refrain from any kind of obscene or offensive kind of expressions so we are disowning the uh, Broadcasting Association are disowning completely any association with Twilight Conversations. Anyway, such profanities, they're just not on. Everything's fucking this and can't that. No, 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 we say no. Get that out of the way. Right. So the four Fs, fighting, feeding, fleeing and fucking. And the fucking there is pure procreation stuff. I wonder today, I don't know, dinosaurs or cavemen, did they... Did they have foreplay? Were they like, hey baby, what's going down? <laughs> was it all just, who knows? Who knows? Um, but it's more of a procreation piece. And that's where in the, rep that's, that's, they're the responses that were there, right? And there'd be like defense of the self, of the family, personal property of the cave, the bit of social interaction, what's the body language? You know, be showing aggression, dominance, there's territory, ritual displays, you see that in animals, all that type of stuff, right? all about survival all about survival as i said that's millions of years old it's evolved and and there's been a lot more learned about that the so-called reptilian brain and how how active is that now you know we're meant to be evolving and indeed we have you'd be familiar with phrases then like the amygdala and again, that's the uh, often associated with trauma. It's there. It doesn't necessarily mean trauma. It's there anyway. But if we're experiencing or we're working through trauma, that's the one of the areas of the brain that's going to be very activated because the amygdala like processes fearful, a threat and stimuli. Only this time we're not in caves. We're not fucking lizards. We're not reptiles in that sense, you know. Uh, you know, uh, and, and the conditions are quite different now. The, the, the fear wouldn't be the same you would imagine so it's it's a kind of a refined version of that if you like right but the amygdala deals with that it processes that kind of information that kind of threatening stimuli it's all about detection activation 
you know, response behaviors. It's kind of scanning all the time and then it sends out the chemicals, the adrenaline and the, the cortisol into the system to deal with the situation. You've got the hippocampus as well. Again, you know, I'm not a neuroscientist. I love, I love when people do that. <laughs> like you're all kind of going, oh, we, we, we were convinced that you were. <laughs> I'm thinking back to uh, the 80s, early 80s, 1981, when I worked in Dublin Simon Community uh, as a volunteer, a very, quite a different setup then. Uh, mainly all men, mainly older 40s, 50s. They're methylated spirits, old seller, you know, uh, VP, Ruby Red, all that type of, that was their, the drugs were coming in, but they weren't that big in. You weren't seeing it as big on the home scene yet, but you did as the 80s moved on. But that was the scene, right? So you'd have, <laughs> I was rough and ready down the Simon shelter at that stage. They only had one, two shelters at that stage. Someone would be, every, there was always health issues for people and, you know, and someone might be seeming to have a heart attack. And then this other guy who would be like almost getting up out of his own vomit, <laughs> fucking piss and shit. Bang off him, you know what I mean? <laughs> Lovely fella. Listen, I'm no bleeding heart expert. I'm not a cardiologist. And I said, fucking hell, here's me all this time thinking you were. Imagine. <laughs> that man needs an ambulance, right? Um, but that said, I'm remembering in that night shelter, and I've come across this since where people homeless and people in addiction, there were professors there. There were men and women who had... Uh, there was a professor of psychology, there was uh, an economics guy, there was a woman who was uh, was at one point a, a political analyst, analyst, but it fell on hard times, got caught in addiction, mental health issues. So you never know, maybe, maybe, if the person, maybe the guy could have said to me, well, I actually was Jimmy, you know, but just in the most unlikely places and someone says, I'm not a, so I'm not a neuroscientist. Hence your disappointment. In terms of, uh, you know, I suppose managing uh, and understanding how our bodies and our minds react to stress, to anxiety. You don't need to be a neuroscientist, basically, is what I'm saying. Is what I'm really getting at. If you can understand, you know, we understand ourselves, what's going on, if we're listening and if we're tuned in, and we know, okay, you've got the amygdala and the hippocampus there, there, and the hippocampus is more memory formation, which is important to trauma as well, isn't it? You know, because again, this is what often fires off, which is behind anxiety, where anxiety is bigger, when there's no outside stimuli as such. Like I said earlier on, there's no practical reason why I'm anxious or fearful right now, but something's triggering off in me and it's. Memories are coming in that sense, right? So the hippocampus is firing off trauma memories. You're going to get humiliated. You're going to be hurt. All the chemicals are flying around. You know, the throat's getting dry. Everything's, you know. And they're wonderful things. They're all there to try and protect, but they actually create an anxiety, of course, don't they? You know. And you've got the other four Fs, which I spoke of in earlier uh, podcasts around trauma. You've got the fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And you might get, we could add five, you might get fucking there as well, because sometimes we fawn sexually to make it okay with someone as well, you know, so we could throw that in there. You know, if I do this, if I appease him or then they won't hurt me. And they seem to want to do this. That may sound familiar to some people. So the, it's almost like the, uh, the in the amygdala there, the kind of like, it's, they're like snipers in the brain, you know? Um, that's a line from a Bowie song. The sniper in the brain regurgitating train, incestuous and plain, many other last names. Song called Time. While I look at my watch, it says 9.25, and I think, oh God, I'm still alive. 
So yeah, snipers in the brain. It's almost like they're watching, they're waiting, you know, or the doormen, they're fucking bouncers, you know, waiting for any harm coming in. So the snipers there getting ready, and you're saying to them, no, 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 it's okay. They're not doing me any harm. We're just doing some SNM stuff. We're friends. It's we're, we're consenting adults. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. You relax. Go on, go and have your break. Go on your break. Go, go talk to the fella who always thinks I'm a phony. Go to him and because that you've got that protective piece there. You know they're kind of uh, um, uh, what's that term I used it earlier on the the imposter syndrome. That's a protective mechanism actually. Even though it's a pain in the hole, it's there just in case. You know. Don't get ahead of yourself. So I'll say to the sniper, go have your break, have a smoke, do whatever you guys do or women do. Talk to imposter syndrome guy, put him in the picture. I'll still be watching. That's fine. I want to have a bit of fun here. It's okay. We're just playing. Right. I'll be over here if you need me. It's kind of like that, you know. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have that conversation? But in a way, then you've got the part of the brain that's called the, the cerebral cortex or the frontal lobes, I think is the proper term. I often call that the adult self. That's the part that can reason, that can kind of go, all right, calm the fuck down. Everything's okay. We're all right. Steady the ship. Breathe. It's all okay. There is no danger. There is no danger, you know. Hence the question, am I actually safe right now? You know? Yeah, so anxiety can reduce. Now, that doesn't often happen quickly, but it can. You know, when you do that assessment. But you need some bodily intervention and you need to use what Huberman Andrew Huberman, one of his techniques, I've, I think I, I gave it before on this, on one of these podcasts. And and he makes the brilliant point. Sometimes we need something in real time. So it's, it's, it's brilliant doing all the, com- look at all the techniques we can use. Great yoga, yada, and all them brilliant things and go on weekends and do all that stuff. But sometimes we're in the moment and we need something. And he gives out a brilliant one. And it's got the neuroscience behind it. And I, it's really, really simple. And it's often called the, um, what's that term? The physiological sigh, <sighs> right? But the breathing technique is really simple. It's first aid for when you get really stressed and anxious in the moment. Two to three, doesn't matter. Through the nose if you can for the first bit. Quick breaths. <laughs> Pause. And then a long out breath. <sighs> the out breath needs to be longer, right? And if you can, do it this way. (laughs) Do a sigh. We notice we'll do that automatically ourselves at different times. It's a very spontaneous thing. So it's the the two in-breaths or three in-breaths through the nose like that. Stimulate a particular way the central nervous system. They send messages. They redirect the cortisol and the kind of uh, adrenaline. They calm that down because we need that at times, right? And the long out breath, the sigh, recalibrates. If you like, then it, oh, it's okay. You can't do that with your mind alone. That's what I mean. And that's really, really. It works. It really, really works. Now you couldn't do it all day because you get dizzy, you fall asleep. It's very relaxing, you know. But it's really, really good. So it's <laughs> it works with the diaphragm, works with the heart rate. Very important neurological messages being rebalanced in that. 
So it returns the balance. Now, there's a variation on that. I heard another guy who was on the Huberman show talk about this. And he said for the outbreath, it's really good. You can visualize and make the sound of a like a balloon deflating or a tire going down. So it's... <laughs> So you can kind of feel and imagine that. Even the, the image of that is like, ah, oh, okay, right? You know, so that's the one you might need mid-trigger. Uh, you know, you're, as I said, the adrenaline's flying around. Your heart starts to beat really, really fast. Your throat gets really, really dry. Maybe you get immobilized. You get a bit stiff or you feel you have to move. Stretching is really, really good. If you can, I often use that to stretch the body in combination with that to get up and actually move. To not get immobilized, to not not dissociate, to to stay with what's happening, and then when with that, once that you can then the the frontal lobes can come into play and kind of go, okay, I can see what's happening here now, because it's hard to do that bit without the breath bit. So I hope I've described that pretty well. It's worked. So it's like a little uh, trauma, anxiety, first aid kit, if you like. Now all the other stuff, um, like meditation prayer spiritual practices yoga breathing sea swimming sport uh, therapy group therapy all brilliant stuff walking swimming nature yes yes particularly the sea swimming or the cold because that does similar to the breathing it it reboots you don't have to use your mind for that you can't your mind can't get to that it just does it that's why that's so so good ice baths and that type of thing has the same effect um, hobbies, connection, talking to people, getting support with friends, all of that. You're not alone, right? This is the human condition. And I'll come back to spirituality. There's a lovely song that um, was sent to me by the amazing Lois, who is interested in the podcast and often uh, makes lovely comments about it and was knew I was doing anxiety. I think we're having a conversation and sent me a, a, a beautiful song, which I'll come back to. And I'm going to talk a bit about prayer meditation. You don't have to be religious or really spiritual for that. It's very practically helpful. And it can often get to a place that other techniques can't. So leave that with me. I'll come back to that in a minute. Just there was something I wanted to check. Frontal lobes, didn't I? Oh, yes, I knew there was something. So there's this was, is a psychologist called David Goleman. And he wrote a very successful book called Emotional Intelligence. Some of you may know that. Um, and he really, he, he reckons, and I would totally agree that emotional intelligence is far more valuable than IQ. IQ is useful. It's, a, it's an intellectual thing. Emotional intelligence involves intuition, wisdom, stuff you'll hear me talk about and other people talk about quite a lot. It's, I think it's deeper, you know, street smarts, savvy, that's all in emotional intelligence. It's the ability, you know, it's, uh, coming from the gut, coming from the intestines, coming from the heart, coming from the system more. Uh, it's based on experience and it's working at a different level than IQ. IQ is all about remembering information and storing it, you know what I mean? And kind of like studying something and kind of going, being good at that. But that's a bit mechanical. It's great, but it's mechanical. You know, it's no, I have worked with, I met people with IQs that are fucking through the roof. They can't tie their own fucking laces. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't know how to have a conversation with someone, you know? Which is where the real intelligence comes in, isn't it? Congeniuses, the stuff they know is incredible, but they, they, they have no intimacy or very little. 
I don't know how to get it. So all that IQ is not going to help that. It'll help. You can get great jobs and it'll help with some things and they solve these brilliant problems, but it won't help heal your heart or soul. It won't help you love and be loved in that sense. All right. But anyway, Daniel Goleman in, from Emotional Intelligence, he came up with this phrase, amygdala hijacking. Remember the amygdala is the place, that's where the sniper is, that's, the, that's where, that's minding us, it's checking, are we okay? Scanning for danger, scanning for danger, is it there, is it there? And the thing about the amygdala, it does its job so well that it will sense danger where there may not be any, you know, but it will react the same way. That's where we have to do that assessment piece with the breath as well. You know, because sometimes we have to get the fuck out of that, you know, it's real. Mm. You know, there's, there's a, they're coming to get you, <laughs> you know, it's real, you know, the tiger is there, fuck, the wolf is outside the door, you know, um, and, and that you have to take action and mind yourself. But the amygdala will send the same messages, whether it's real or not. That's why our imaginations are very, very powerful. All the symptoms will be the same as if it's real. And maybe at one time in our lives, it was real. I've spoke about this before. That's the trauma trigger, isn't it? You know, we're reminded of. So the question, am I safe now? Is that happening now? You know, to check that. What do I need to do now? Okay. Now, other people may have different versions of anxiety. As I said, please seek that out. You know, you may be listening, kind of, oh, fuck, anxiety. I don't know. But this is my understanding of, of all the various areas that can come from and the connection to trauma. So that's amygdala hijacking where the amygdala gets the, you know, it floods the frontal lobes, the frontal lobes, the adult self. It's overwhelmed with cortisol and, and uh, adrenaline, those very, very powerful chemicals that are designed to help us. And it's impossible to think rationally and that you get what's called the overwhelm and make the hijack. You get flooded with that, you know, it can take a while. That's where that, again, that breathing technique can help clear that. So overloads and, and floods the frontal lobes. That can make it very disorienting. Dissociation can happen. You can freeze. You can get amnesia. You can forget what's happened. You can have periods of time where you don't know what's going on. All of that type of stuff. Dissociation, as I said, or time out of mind, as A.O. O'Connell, our friend, our silent co-host, if you like, talked about and wrote a brilliant piece about, um, which again, I would encourage anyone to read if they haven't. So you get those intense reactions, the overwhelm, the immobilization, the awful feelings of terror in your gut and it's just such an awful feeling and you know sometimes people can actually faint it can be so overwhelming with those breathing techniques i said combined with the assessment of what's actually am i safe now that's less likely that can reduce symptoms hugely you know so symptom reduction can be hugely important and then we can think a bit more clearly well what do i need to do where am i lois the wonderful enlightened highly intelligent lois sent me this beautiful song i wrote lyrics from it oh yeah by the wonderful katie lang i didn't know the song now and with jane sibbery i think is her name it's called calling all angels the song isn't you know saying you have to be holy or you have to be from this religion or that human beings and you know this can happen a lot in addiction recovery but in any area where our backs against the wall where we're in a difficult space where we're trying lots of techniques and sometimes we'll go to prayer you know the way you'll do it even if you i I do believe in something but agnostics and atheists will say oh god if there's a god there please help me there's something deeply humbling about that isn't there there's something deeply raw very leveling where, where, where we do that you know there's something deeply instinctive about that so calling all angels is a wonderful song and here's a couple of the lines from it calling all angels 
calling all angels. Walk me through this one. Don't leave me alone. Calling all angels, calling all angels. We're trying, we're hoping, we're hurting, we're loving, we're crying, we're calling. Because we're not sure how this goes. Isn't that wonderful in this, you know, because sometimes we're not. We can have all the information, but there's that other piece. And whatever, whether you want to call it angels, spirit guides, God, Christ, Buddha, nature, life, we all know that space of desperation where it's, please help me. You know, we do it silently or please. If you've got a regular practice in that, I know a lot of people that practice and call on a God or an angel within them without finally manage anxiety a whole lot better. You know, I still have it. So that's Katie Lang with Jane Sibber. It's a lovely, it's a lovely song actually, Calling All Angels, uh, sent in by the enigmatic Lois. Thank you, Lois. Okay, where are we going? That's our first song. Oh, and by the way, lots of people, as I said, have, uh, com- I said that in the last one, didn't I, commented on the music, on the songs, are getting a little playlist together, which is really, really cool, and suggesting songs. So if I didn't mention you, I'm sorry. Look to all the ways, not not completely, that we can deal with it. Obviously, therapy, group therapy particularly, as I mentioned, can be really, really good because there's something very healing about can help with the anxiety of being with people if you have a bit of social anxiety sitting with a group. Although it's agonizing, people have found they can learn to tolerate that. There's something about like desensitizing and learn to tolerate discomfort of being with people, of talking in public, of, you know. That's one of the big ones around anxiety, isn't it? Talking in public. And funny thing is, I don't mind doing that. I don't get anxious uh, about talking to a crowd or facilitating a group or I could do a training. I'm going to do a training, I think, in two or three weeks on addiction uh, set up by IHIP. Probably 30, 40 people. It's not a big, big group. You know, I, like, I like working with smaller groups because I think you lose it with a big group. But I have no anxiety about that at all. I have a little bit, nice little kind of, but I don't really have, because I, I kind of have a good idea, you know, I can waffle, I can talk, I don't mind that. And I enjoy that, I enjoy the connection with people. But as I said, put me into then the social situation where we're sitting drinking tea, I'm okay, I get anxious about the other person because I can feel their discomfort. I'm okay to sit quietly and have a gap, you know. But um, I do find that harder than when I'm on, you know, doing something, I, you know. I've, I have spoken to bigger groups throughout my, my life, you know, with a microphone and it sounds weird to hundreds of people about something, you know, blah, blah, blah. and I don't mind that. You know, I have a little small bit of anxiety, but I'd have more anxiety uh, sitting in a, a, a pub or a, a social setting and people like, well, you know, so how's things? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, we're going to do this, yeah? Okay. You know, but I can feel that they're uncomfortable and they want to talk, so... Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? But that's that rates highly anyway. Public speaking, social anxiety, being with crowds, and that can be agonising uh, for some people. But other things make me anxious, not that. And I want you to really honour, to use that expression, how you experience anxiety. It may not be as I've said it. It may be differently. It may be through racing thoughts. It may be just a physical sensation. It's like you know. But you'll hear me talking about the psycho and the soma. I've done. Uh, work, or not workshops, I have done workshops on that, but I've done podcasts around that, the body work and psychotherapy, the connection, it's it's futile, we have, we are a body, it's not some, you know, it's, and all of our symptoms will be through the body, you know, but unfortunately, not all, it's changing, techniques are very uh, cerebral and they're organised around the mind trying to deal with the mind, so then you're into that scenario of the, the knife trying to cut itself. 
you know. Now, intellectuals kind of like that because they can go around and around in that kind of stuff, stay in therapy for ages, years, pay thousands of euro. And and, and uh, the late Fritz Perls, the founder of Gestalt Therapy, called it mind fucking, where you just kind of, you know, get in there and but you don't really make any changes as such. You may get a bit of an insight, but the real change is when you begin to integrate and, and, and feel things in your body and change, you know, patterns and all of that. That's, I think, where, for me, anyway, where the work happens, we have a body, we are a body. That's why sport is so successful, dance and movement. People that don't even care about therapy, they get great relief from dance and movement, um, from stretching, from running, from, you know, no surprise that's why that's so popular. People do it to keep fit and keep healthy, but something else happens. Now, if they can integrate it and know what they're doing, they'll get much more benefit from it. People, gym. I know people that they'd lose their fucking shit if they didn't get to the gym with anxiety. They go to the gym, do a few stretches, do a few weights, treadmill, whatever they're doing, bump, bump, bump. They're great. Then they can do the bit of therapy, the bit of talk stuff works then. The talk on its own doesn't work, right? For a lot of people, you have to engage your body somehow. Um, you know, as I said, like the swimming, all that kind of stuff, anything like that, the bit of football. That's why I love playing the bit of football or cycling. I love doing that because... Again, it, it kind of helps me. It helps my body uh, kind of work through things and, and, and release, you know, the catharsis. All of that is hugely important because there can be buildup. Because let's remember, as Huberman will tell us, the buildup of certain stress hormones are important. They have important functions as well. We don't want to not have them, but maybe there's too many and I need to let them go. I was talking about prayer and meditation and mindfulness is big now, of course. And again, you know, they're all wonderful practices and breath work and there's all different types of stuff available now that can help us kind of be calmer, be more grounded. You'll hear words like groundedness. They'll all involve the breath. Any good meditation will involve the use of the breath and the body, body awareness, you know. That Eckhart Tolle piece, he speaks about dealing with fear and anxiety and you know, in the same way, you, you can't think through it. You just can't because it's too overpowering and it's in your body. So the very thing we don't want to do, the thing we dread, is to breathe into that awful fear in our in the pit of our tummy, you know, in your diet. Oh, it's awful. It's like burning. It feels nauseous. It's every fiber in your being wants to jump out of your skin. I do in when I feel it. However, if I can breathe into it, because the problem isn't really that. That's a sensation, right? That anxious sensation. The problem is what my mind is doing with it. And Eckhart Tolle talks about that. If you can stay out of the mind loop, don't let the mind get a hold of it because that will create all kinds of monsters. So if I can just go and breathe into the sensation, it's almost like you're born through it. It's very uncomfortable. But then it becomes tolerable and it's okay. And then you remember the next time and then the mind stuff settles down, Right? So don't try go at it in your mind. Go at it through your body. Breathe through it. It's not, you know, breathe into the very place you want to move when. Feel the sensation. And you'll realize you do not die. You'll feel very fucking uncomfortable. And then you'll kind of like, as I said, it feels like you're born through it. And again, you put your feet on the ground. You may need to stretch a little bit, as I often do. And you're assessing, I'm actually safe right now. And that really, really helps with, with, with shame, anxiety, fear, because all these powerful feelings are interrelated, you know? How are we doing? Are we okay? It's like there's someone in the room with me. Yeah, Jim, keep going. Again, Pink Floyd are, are, have been featuring heavily in most things, most podcasts, because again, they so 
write so much about uh, estrangement, anxiety, fear, depression, isolation, disconnection, trying to deal with this type of stuff, you know, external pressure, what's going on out in the particularly society stuff, you know, and from again, the album, The Wall, um, I'm looking at great title, Waiting for the Worms, right? A couple of lines from it, right? You cannot reach me now, no matter how you try. So someone's in deep pain and anxiety and fear. So they're, they're hiding away. And it says, sitting in a bunker here behind my wall, waiting for the worms to come. In perfect isolation here behind my wall, waiting for the, wor- the worms to come. It's wonderful, isn't it? Description of, you know, I don't care. I'll just, I'll even die. I just can't take it. You know, I just can't be with it anymore. I'm just protected from it and cut off from you. And that whole album is about that, you know. I was just thinking, I wrote the term unflushable lump. <laughs> you know, the way sometimes you can get a really uncomfortable feeling and it just, you know, the way feelings will pass, but sometimes it's it's like one of those unflushable lumps. It just fucker won't go in a hurry and it kind of can be there with you for days. You just have to wait. It's a bit like, I remember Billy Connolly talking about it. I think he was on a train or an aeroplane and you go in, you have a shit. And the fucking thing won't flush. And there's people knocking at the door and you're kind of, it's still there. Right? You can't, you're trying to bash the fucking thing away. And he goes out and he says, that's no man. And the guy says, no, well, it's yours got your fucking name on it. But it's, we've all kind of been in that situation. You know? um, but that, we can have an emotional version of an unflushable lump. I don't know where I heard that term, but it came to me anyway. Uh, so yes, I talked about acute stress responses in the short term triggers stimuli because I, I again I've borrowed the Bowie technique of little bits of cutouts and I don't I'll, I'll write down a few headings and maybe a few lyrics but they're not in sequence you know and uh, I'm never going to stick to it anyway sticking with Pink Floyd um, again a, a song even the music captures anxiety and fear and it's called Run Like Hell and if you're familiar with the, the album or the film, it's there's very violent scenes out in public and there's Nazis and white supremacists and they're they're being really violent towards uh, gay people and ordinary people. They're, they're awful, you know, and these, na- you know, marching Nazis and you've got the hammers marching and it's really intimidating. <laughs> um, they're kind of coming to get you. And, and in the film, though, that those kind of things really, Trump's brigade are out there coming to get you, you know. But um, but it's also an internal process as well. The feeling that could be going on in our minds and it could be going on out in the world, you know. But um, it's a brilliant song and here's a couple of lines from it. Run, run, run. You better make your face up in your, posi- your favourite disguise. You better run all day and run all night and keep your dirty feelings deep inside. What a line that is, keep your dirty feelings deep inside. That's very, very powerful because it captures, that creates huge anxiety, that the feelings aren't really dirty. But often those external Nazi types, you know, the whole right extreme right wing is based on like, you know, they're all fucking dirty and trans and da 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 and we don't want gays and we don't want anything real or intimate or loving or gentle. <laughs> so if you have those feelings, they become dirty then, you know? So you've got to keep them in. So that can be promoted by certain elements of society and it can also be intensified inside yourself and that creates huge anxiety, which leads me on to or back to what I was calling existential uh, fear, existential anxiety, existential dread the kind of terror of being alone 
and in a way wanting to be alone because I'm terrified of connecting with another. That's a huge source of anxiety when you get underneath everything, you know, the, the huge yearning and desire to connect with other human beings, but the terror of being rejected or that going wrong. So you've got a double whammy. You know, I'm isolated, I'm alone, I'm not getting fed as a human being the way I need to be. Um, and then I'm also really anxious about that because if I lean or reach towards the light, which is the natural thing, that could go wrong and then I'm going to feel even more anxious. So maybe I'll do a Pink Floyd and sit in my bunker, just wait for the worms, you know. Is that a safer option? We'll go safe. But then, you know, it's a bit of a catch-22, but then we, we miss the good stuff, right? And the good stuff is there. Trust me, the good stuff is there, you know. We, we may get a bit of a, a pushback on the way, but we'll survive, you know. It's worth it to get the good stuff. And everybody wants the good stuff. We want the sweet spot. Everybody wants the sweet spot. There's a couple of fucking dark triad heads will try and sabotage that. But most people, we want the sweet spot in ourselves and with each other. We don't want to really hurt each other. You know, we want to meet. Again, so if you can imagine if we knew that, how anxiety would reduce in society and in ourselves. You know, so that existential agony, the terror of never being known, of wanting to be known, but never being known. So, yeah, I talked about evolving and we need, you know, it, it's not just a personal problem. It's more of a collective problem. It's a society issue. You know, what, what's the policies in our society can play into that as well? Is it a safe place? Is our, is our society safe place to be ourselves in? Can that help reduce anxiety? Absolutely. I believe it can, you know. So it's not just an individual problem. Yes, only we can deal with our own bit. However, that is influenced by what's happening out there, you know. So we need to look at both. So we feel safe to be ourselves and freely express ourselves openly, peacefully, you know, without fear of judgment or condemnation or attack. Yeah, our fears and anxieties will be reduced to an extraordinary minimal level, don't you think, you know? So it's not just for the individual. Yeah, we must also evolve. And we're hoping we're evolving, you know what I mean? To create that kind of environment, atmosphere. That's why you'll get certain small groups. Group therapy can create that. You know, self-help groups can create that. Uh, groups of friends will create that for themselves, you know. We just like that to go a bit more outward. You know, where that boundary can go outward a little bit more, you know. to Because, you know, peace breeds peace, doesn't it? If you know it's okay and safe, you know, the most fearful, violent of people will often kind of put down the weapon and kind of go, give us an ag, mate. So what I am suppose I'm talking about as well is integrating the shadow. You don't talk about the shadow self. Uh, the parts of us that aren't dirty, but we've been led to believe are dirty. Hence the separation of the spirit, you know, up in the head and the, the body where the shit and the love juice is and all the kind of functional stuff is. You'll get that uh, split disconnection. We need to integrate all of who we are in the world, you know, be ourselves and bring all of us to the world and to, to, to love and to others, you know. I mentioned bodywork psychotherapy, you know, psychosocial stress, worry. And really stress is, and I think Cooperman says this as well, you know, it's a system to mobilize other systems in the body. It's kind of a generic thing. It's a good thing. But, you know, it can go a bit out of whack. And if there's been unresolved trauma or residue of trauma, it can get triggered quite strong. Always remember it's a good thing. It feels awful, but it's coming from a good place. Again, it's the sniper. It's the bouncer kind of going, I've got your back. You know, I don't hit them. They're all right. <laughs> you, know? Do you know what I mean? I remember having a psycho friend like that when I was, well, psycho friend, can you have the two of them? 
but he got a bit protective over me, you know. Uncomfortable. He was fucking punching people that were talking to me and everything it was awful, you know. So that was a version of that. Sometimes the amygdala gets a bit psychotic. I'll protect you. I don't need protecting. That's my. I like them, you know. Okay, are you sure? They could be trying to get you deep down. No, they're not. They're good. Um. Right. All I was trying to establish is where you fucking were. That's a non sequitur line from uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, a.k.a. Derek and Clive, in their very first album as Derek and Clive was Derek and Clive Live, which was outrageous in mid-late 70s when it came out. But that was a particular... It was kind of, where were you? I was down the fucking jack, so I was down the left. What, were you in, in down in the basin in the bowl? No, I was not floating around like a lonely fucking turd. I was not. I was down in the toilet. All I was trying to establish is where you fucking were, mate. <laughs> not for everybody, but I fucking love them. <laughs> They're so funny. They just were a bit drunk and spontaneously spoke about everything you're not supposed to talk about. You know, and they were doing it before anybody was. Uh, doing risky stuff. Um, that kind of existential agony, fear of disconnection, fear of being alone, that creates huge anxiety in people. I would, you know, apart from practical things that causes anxiety, my hunch would be that the core of anxiety, and I'm sure there'll be many psychologists and therapists may disagree with me, and that's fine, you may disagree with me, is really the desire and need to not be alone, to connect, to love and be loved in whatever way we need to. The need for that, the lack of that, the fear that that won't happen or the fear that that'll go wrong. But not having it creates even more anxiety. So I, I feel it somewhere in there. I often refer to Dory Previn because I notice this, you probably have as well, this, there can be themes with different artists I might use because they'll, they're in this area, you know, and talking or singing about this. So the late Dory Previn, who's not a great singer, She's not easy on the ear always. She's not so melodic. Her songs aren't great. But her subject matter and the way she goes about it is fucking stellar, you know, for this type of stuff. So she's a song called Scared to Be Alone. So she was one of those artists that just went there and said it exactly. Really transparent, right? Um, And in that song, she says, I think perhaps tomorrow I'll try and make a friend. I'll really get to know him instead of pretend. I'll ask him if his feet hurt. Has he burdens to be shared? And if he doesn't walk away, I'll ask him if he's scared. And if he doesn't walk away and his eyes don't turn to stone, I'll ask him, is he scared to be alone? Well, that's kind of what I'm talking about, right? Um, So deep under anxiety fear is the real and natural desire to be intimate, to interact, to be really seen, known, touched, and loved. Here's an artist I haven't used, actually on that subject. Brilliant songwriter. Um, got into recovery in the 70s. I think he's still alive. The great Chris Christopherson. And he wrote Help Me Make It Through the Night. That wonderful song. Um, now that's been recorded by loads of artists. Probably the best version, the most sensual version is Gladys Knight and the Pips. They do a fucking... What a, what a version they do. A, as is Chris Christopherson's. Anyway. Here we go. I don't care who's right or wrong. I won't try to understand. Let the devil take tomorrow. Lord, tonight I need a friend. Yesterday is dead and gone. There's your present moment living, right? And tomorrow is out of sight. 
it's sad to be alone. Help me make it through the night. So sometimes we just have to humble ourselves and be human beings. We don't want to be alone. I don't mean that it's okay to be alone, but not in an erotic way. Sometimes we just need human connection. Do you know what I mean? You know, or, or an animal can be fantastic, won't replace the human, but you know, we're certainly safer often with the animal, with the dog or the cat. But um, it's just a wonderful song for that. And you've got the whole recovery element in there. You know, you can hear the influence of him being in recovery. You know, yesterday is dead and gone. Tomorrow may never come because that's where our depression and anxiety comes from. Right now, let's be, help me make it through the night. It's, it's, it's kind of real time stuff. Maybe on the phone, you just talk to me. Say hello. Can I just text you? You know, just missing you. That can make a huge, huge difference. And it's having the humility to, and, and the intelligence, the emotional intelligence to be able to reach out and do that. Um, yeah, a couple of, oh yes, I see Carol King written there as well. Carol King, Jerry Goffin's song. Beautiful song, Will You Just Love Me Tomorrow? And it's got that future thing. And I don't know if they're talking about anxiety in the song, but it's an anxious song because, you know, uh, that's really what she's saying in the song, you know. Um, you know, will you still love me tomorrow? You know, we're having this great night. I can't believe how magic this is, but will you still love me tomorrow? Yeah, well, let, let's enjoy now, you know. Maybe she's with a bogey character and he or she may not be reliable, but if we're with someone reliable, of course they're going to love us tomorrow. But I think all human beings, we've got that anxiety. God, will he or she, will they be there for me? And that, that can throw back to childhood as well, can't it? You know, can we rely? Well, maybe love will be withdrawn, you know. But with a, an ordinary, reliable adult human being in the light triad, they're not going to withdraw their love. They're not. You know, so that's a real test to lean into love with our friends, with our families, to lean in and trust it'll be there. It will be there. There are certain individuals, because of their own pathology or whatever's going on, they do withdraw their love. You know, and that, that can leave an awful sting and an awful anxiety. That's another area of anxiety. Love will be withdrawn, you know. That's why that song is, is wonderful. Will you still love me tomorrow? You know. Tonight you're mine completely. I gave you love completely. That's the lines of it, isn't it? Tonight you're mine completely. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. You know, but it's got this dread in it. You know. It's lovely. You're having a great night. You know. That's where you've got to lean into when it gets really, really good enjoy it because when it gets good then we get afraid it'll be taken away that's our anxiety point isn't it the sweet spot is when we kind of lean in and kind of go yeah of course it will be <gasps> magic 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 because a big subject anxiety and it could have a part one two or three i'm not sure because it's anxiety it's fear it's stress it's tension it's all those things it's existential agony um my love of a you know and i'm going to distinguish again a milne's writing of winnie the pooh the original as opposed to the walt disney versions walt disney versions are cute they're fine but they don't come anywhere near touching the enchantment and magic and beauty of the a milne characters and how they're described and written about and drawn and so forth so um uh, it's often said that all, you'll hear me talking about all the characters in, in Winnie the Pooh, you know, uh, represent human traits and we can all be part of them and some of them and different ones. So the anxiety one is Piglet because he's a tiny little, tiny little creature, little Piglet, really, really small. And as you've heard me saying, when he gets anxious, his, his ears wobble. 
then they go back because his voice gets really, really shaky and I can really identify with him. So he's a kind of, he's this little, little piglet creature is the manifestation of anxiety. So piglet trembles, twitches, you know, he's shaky. Piglet has kind of exaggerated responses to things. He, he shows symptoms, autonomic, uh, kind of rapid heartbeat, you know, um, hyper arousal, um, shortness of breath when he is stressful, stressed activities, his anxiety levels tend to kind of elevate when st- something's going on, right? Um, the time when, uh, I'm going to interlink a few anxious poo piglet moments here, right? So the time when he, he there was a, a flood in the forest and he lives in a tree and he was surrounded by water and he was trapped in his tree and eventually Pooh comes to save him. And I get back to Pooh coming to save him. But um, Piglet says, it's a, it's a little anxious, Piglet said to himself, to be a very small animal entirely surrounded by water. Christopher Robin and Pooh, they could escape by climbing trees and Kanga could escape by jumping and Rabbit could escape by burrowing. An owl could escape by flying, and hero could escape by by just making loud noises till someone comes along to help him. But here I am, a very small animal, and there's nothing I can do. Anyway, that that's the story there. Pooh eventually rescues him. There's a whole big story how he rescues him. But Pooh's anxiety moment was then he heard on the grapevine the lowdown in the forest was because he'd rescued, he'd done this thing. They were going to have a big party for him and a celebration. He just that was in the wind, you know. So the night before he's lying in bed, so he's having an anxious poo poem. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And see if you can identify with this. I won't go through the whole poem with you. It's it's very it's lovely. But uh the whole gist of it is, you know, saying, Hey for poo, he's done this, he's done that. The end of the poem says, Could somebody please tell me? What did he do? And there's the imposter syndrome, isn't it? You know, that anxiety, like, did, did everyone make a mistake? Am I really going to get this medal, this award, this cup? Does this applause really correct for me? Should I have this job? Have I been conning everybody all along, right? That one. What did he or she do? Piglet is the manifestation of, of, of anxiety, you know. A little bit more, I've, I spoke to you before about uh, when Tigger came to the forest first and he called the Pooh's house in the middle of the night. And they looked at each other for ages and said hello for ages. Um, until they eventually, you know, Pooh says, you can come in, have a sleep, and in the morning we'll have breakfast. I'll give you honey. And Tigger says, Tigger's love honey, because Tigger agrees to everything, right? He doesn't like honey in the morning. So he says, Tigger's like everything except honey. So Pooh says, so look, I'm going to bring you around to Piglet's house, right? But I want you to be really, really careful, because Piglet's a very small animal. He gets really anxious, and you're big and you're bouncy, right? And um, Tigger says, well, we're only bouncy before breakfast. Once we've eaten, we become very quiet and refined. So Pooh says, fine. So around to, to Piglets they go. And uh, here's how it goes then, right? Hello, Pooh, said Piglet. Hello, Piglet, said Pooh. This is Tigger. Oh, is it? said Piglet, feeling a little anxious as he edged around the other side of the table. I, I-, I thought Tiggers were smaller than that. Not the big ones, said Tigger. They like acorns, said Pooh. So that's why I brought him around to your house so you can give him some breakfast because poor Tigger hasn't had any breakfast yet. Piglet pushed a bowl of acorns towards Tigger and said, help yourself. And then he got close to Pooh and felt much braver. And then he said, so you're Tigger. Well, well, in a careless sort of voice. Isn't that beautiful how we can do that? You know, when we start to feel a bit safe, he kind of sidles up to Pooh, comes around. So you're Tigger. Hmm. You know, so you can translate that into lots of human situations. They're just very enchanting little stories. Uh, but whenever I think of anxiety, I think of Piglet and his ears twitching and getting really anxious and his mind going. But 
when he seeks support, he can be a bit, you know, safer. We, we all get a bit braver, don't we? Oh, so you're a tigger. Well, well. <laughs> mm. Have I anything more for you on anxiety? Any more quotes? Any more songs? Um, let me double check. Have I jotted down any more lyrics? I think I've covered everything. So you can hear I'm leaning much more into the existential place, but just to reiterate, there are very practical reasons for us to be anxious. Uh, there are society elements to, that promote our anxiety. I'm going to quote you a lovely John Lennon song, but in this song you can hear him talking about the existential agony and dread of the world we live in, as well as the internal process. Okay. The song's called um, Isolation. It's from the album The Plastic Ono Band from 1970. Speaking of drummers, uh, as I was speaking of Steve Gadd um, and O'Connell, these things just trip off our tongue, right? She says, Sometimes I think my anxiety marches to the drum of my own heartbeat. If anxiety were a drummer, I'd be Steve Gadd. <laughs> That's brilliant. Steve Gadd was the guy who did the drumming on 50 Ways to Leave It Over. You know, now he's not an anxious drummer, but what a great thing. And then I was thinking of, or maybe Animal from uh, The Muppets. <laughs> um, so John Lennon's song. Oh, yes, and drummers, uh, there was a uh, part from Ringo Starr, was the drummer with the Beatles and also the drummer for John Lennon's Plastic Ono Band for quite a while. Um, Ringo. If it's all just been followed by a yellow submarine, would you believe me? The Blue Meanies. Ringo. Brilliant drummer, actually. And then there was this other great drummer who was the drummer with Yes, that, that old that progressive rock band. What was his name again? Alan White. Fantastic drummer. Um, you know the John Lennon song, Instant Karma? Instant Karma's going to get you. We all shine on. Do you ever hear the drumming in that? That's Alan White. He's a fucking superb drummer. So he played with a plastic ono band as well. It's a little background info. Drummers have cro cropped up lately because I used to lean into guitarists, but drummers are equally as important. Anyway, the song Isolation. It's trauma and existential fear. So it says, I don't expect you to understand after you cause so much pain. But then again, you're not to blame. You're just a human, a victim of the insane. We're all afraid of everyone, afraid of the sun, isolation. The sun will never disappear, but the world may not have many years. Isolation. Brilliant, brilliant song. So he's capturing in that kind of the whole agony of being hurt by people and abused and then recognizing, not, not letting them off the hook and that, but, you know, still they need to be held accountable, but they are also in the mad insanity of the human game as well. They're just, they were victims also. And we have to acknowledge that, you know, and huge anxiety can come out of that, you know, and how we're often afraid. Our world isn't always that safe, you know, and I don't mean to be too pessimistic, but it kind of isn't always, is it? You know, I remember the whole uh, CND vibe all through the 70s, 80s, the fear of the, you know, two tribes, Russia and and, and, and USA, you know, that's kind of kicking off a bit. We've got the Ukraine and, you know, China's there and we've all had to live with that. And, you know, I'm not going to get too anxious about that, but it's there. So what I'm saying to you is really, um, as human beings, it's not all about something being wrong with us. That, oh, why can't I manage? The world's pretty fucked up as well, you know? It's great as well, but it's a bit fucked up. It's like, it's contextual, our anxiety. People can be a bit fucking mad, you know? 
it's not always okay to trust people because they're a bit off their fucking tits, you know. So it can be anxiety producing. And then we're trying to deal with like paying our bills and doing what we have to do. And that can produce a bit of anxiety. So what I'm saying is be compassionate about that. Take up the techniques. Absolutely. Take up joy. Make sure someone's loving you in your life. Make sure you have the sweet spot with somebody where it's going well for you, you know. Do whatever you need to do, whether you're doing yoga, breathing, running, sea swimming. You know, it's really important you do that because the world is a bit mad, you know. So, you you know, you have to be a bit mad to kind of survive in it. But we can find those spaces, you know. Just, I don't want you thinking that, you know, somehow everything's okay there in the world and you're just a anxious person. Not at all. The whole fucking thing's fucked up. Your reaction's quite normal. <laughs> it's okay. But then, you know, you got to manage that then and, and to be able to link into the, connect into all the areas of the world that are good and function quite well. And, you know, we can do that. You know, we can do that. So I'm saying anxiety is a, a phenomenon, really, isn't it? You know, it's part of the human condition, you know. Um, so I'm hoping that you can manage it where it's minimal because we need some where it's not chronic for you. But if it is, there is a lot of help available. If that needs medication along with that, so be it. You've, you've got to choose what's right for you and that, you know. That somehow you can be on this planet, live your life without the fucking agony of anxiety because it can rob you of fun and joy and laughter. A lot of good stuff. The sweet spots to be had for sure, you know. Don't let anxiety rob you of that, you know. Don't let it. Because, you know, you'll kick yourself realizing, fuck it, you know. And, and again, anxiety breeds anxiety. Peace of mind and calmness and reaching out to the, your angels, whatever way you want to do it, that, that breeds as well and brings more peace and joy, you know. So it's been great talking to you. Um, I hope it's been helpful. As I said, seek out other uh, books, podcasts, stuff online around anxiety. There's other descriptions that will be far better than mine or different than what I'm saying. The important thing is that you address it in some way. If at the very least this podcast gets you interested in looking at, yeah, how do I manage my own anxiety? What do I need? And you want to read up more about it or seek more about it or try something new or take up what I was talking about? Do. Be curious, you know. Last thing I'll leave you with. Uh, it's a well-known kind of a saying, really. And it's about, if you can, apart from primal fear, and again, I'm, primal fear is when something real is happening and we need safety, you know. Uh, you know, the, as I said, the fucking, the tiger's belting towards you and it's hungry. That, you might go, oh, hello. You might need to hide or whatever you might need to do. That's primal fear and your body will react to that and your phew, adrenaline will kick in. But if it's psychological fear, which is where a lot of our anxiety comes from, where there is no genuine danger in that sense, right? Try to turn your fear into curiosity. It can be really hard to do that. I understand that. Try to be curious rather than fearful. Ask, what is this? What might happen if? Let me calm it down with the breath, as I said. So what, what would it be like to do this differently? What would happen if I did step out and ask? Or if I did make that call? or whatever it might be, be curious. What if? Ask yourself, what if? Maybe, maybe I could. Maybe I'll get a bit of help with this. Just a thought. Be curious as opposed to fearful. Thank you very much. Thanks for all your comments. Please feel free to give the podcast a rating if, if that's okay with you. And if you feel it's a five-star pop it in. It just gives me more of a reach then. I can talk to more people. If you want that to happen, send in your comments. Thank you for all your lovely feedback and support I get so far. And I will talk with you next week. Okay, bye for now. 
Thank you for joining me in the Twilight Conversations. If you'd like to get in contact with us regarding any aspect of the show, you can get in touch at thetwilightconversations at gmail.com. So the Twilight Conversations is an independent project. We're not getting any help from anybody. No major corporations or anything like that. So if you like the content, if you like what you're hearing, please continue to support us via our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the Twilight Conversations.